Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast, proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. The podcast series has been created to shine a light on the diverse and inspiring careers of Australia's pharmacists. Each episode will focus on the varied career opportunities within the pharmacy industry by exploring the career paths taken by leaders in the fields of community pharmacy, hospital, industry, government and professional organisations. Careers never follow a defined path. Everyone's story is different and unique in their own way. The podcast series will help you discover the world of opportunities that exist and reveal pathways to achieve your dreams and aspirations. Whether you are a pharmacy student, early career pharmacist, or simply looking for a change at any stage of your career, the podcast series is designed to help you navigate ways into a career and a life that you love. Your host of the podcast series is Ali Sue. Ali, herself a pharmacist, is now the founder of Global Pharmacy Entrepreneurs and a passionate advocate for pharmacists to grow, innovate, excel, and make a lasting impact in the world. It's now over to our host, Ali Sue. Hi, this is Ali Sue. Welcome back to season two of your Pharmacy Career Podcast. Hope you had a great Easter, Anzac Day, and Labor Day long weekend. Thank you for all your support last season. We had received a lot of positive feedback from pharmacy students, pharmacists, and leaders in the industry. We truly appreciate your support and contribution. Before the break, we had a great conversation with Pharmaceutical Society of Australia fellow, Managing Director of Pengwise, and the Australian Peng Society President-elect, Joyce McSwan. Joyce shared her insights in her journey of becoming the female leader and provided practical advice to creating a successful pharmacy career. In this first episode of the season, we are very excited to have community pharmacist, pharmacy owner, Victorian President of the Guild and National Counselor of the Guild, Anthony Tassoni, to share with us his experiences and wisdom as an owner and an influential leader in the pharmacy industry. We covered a variety of topics in this episode. Whether you are a pharmacy student looking for a pharmacy job, a pharmacist wanting to get into pharmacy ownership, or a pharmacy owner looking for ideas to make your business thrive, make sure you tune in to this episode. Without further ado, let's welcome Anthony. Hi, Anthony. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you, Ali? Thank you so much for joining us. And we're looking forward to this discussion and want to know more about your job as a community pharmacist, pharmacy owner, Victorian president of the Guild. Tell us about your story. Where did you grow up and when and how did you decide to pursue a career in pharmacy? I grew up in a little town called Irimple, which is just outside Mildura. It's on the border of Victoria, New South Wales. It's about six hours drive from Melbourne, in northwestern Victoria. And my father was the deputy manager of the local base hospital. So uh, whilst he wasn't a health professional himself, he worked in hospital administration for as long as I could remember. So I guess I took some interest in healthcare and what health professionals did from a pretty early age. What made you decide to become a pharmacist? I always liked science. So I really liked chemistry and science. I wanted to do something that would have me around people interacting with people. I felt like I was a pretty sociable type person. So I wanted something like that, that wouldn't have me cooped up in an office or a laboratory or 
yeah, away from patients. That's what really interested me. And I thought that pharmacy was a good blend of applying really specialist knowledge and skills, but being able to impart that to patients for their benefit. And I enjoyed the challenge of taking things that were quite complex and trying to put it in layman's terms for a patient that they could understand and benefit from. But what are some of the opportunities you had throughout your career and how did you get these opportunities? I think my opportunities came about probably from persistence and being a pest and probably nagging and just not giving up, I, I would probably say. I mean, in the, earlier, in the earlier days, the opportunities came about from being a pharmacy student in local community pharmacies both in Melbourne and up in Mildura where I lived. And um, they were really great memories I have of that. I would go home to Mildura in the summer holidays from my university days and I would work in pharmacies up there and I really enjoyed that. In terms of opportunities further, yeah, it was basically just being persistent, asking around, being willing to do whatever ships or hours were available or necessary to get a foot in the door. And that was as a pharmacy student. And then I did an internship in community pharmacy in Narry Warren, outer southeastern suburban Melbourne. And I did my internship there. I ended up buying into that pharmacy group as a proprietor in 2006. So I finished my internship around 2002. I bought in around 2006 and have been an owner since then, not in that same group of pharmacies in Narry Warren, now in a place called Cranbourne East or Clyde. It's not really that far from Narry Warren. I've owned, been an owner of five pharmacies at one point or another during that time. And in terms of the pharmacy guild side of things, my opportunities came about from probably being a vocal opinionated pest online social media wasn't around back in the sort of mid-2000s as it is these days, but I would write articles and blogs that were quite critical of the Pharmacy Guild and quite critical of the status quo at the time. And I caught the attention of the national president of the time of the Pharmacy Guild, uh, Kos Sklavos, who contacted me and expressed that I probably didn't know as much as what I was talking about that I thought I was that I thought I did and gave me some home truths. And I said, well, you know, if you want young pharmacists to be involved, well, get us involved, give us an opportunity. And and to his credit, he pointed me in some directions and opportunities to do so. And at that time, there was the Australian College of Pharmacy, it was the Australian Institute of Pharmacy Management. It became the Australian College of Pharmacy. I became the Victorian chair of that over time, which delivered education and professional development for pharmacies and pharmacists and networking opportunities for pharmacists to meet each other. So I really got on the radar of the Pharmacy Guild for being an opinionated vocal pest. But I learned that I did have a lot that I needed to get my head around and I didn't know as much as what I thought I did. And I probably had to pull my head in a bit, but I put my work, I put the work behind it and participated and initially became a in terms of an elected official sense, I was a branch councillor for the Victorian branch of the Pharmaceutical Society to start with around 2005, 2006. Did that for a couple of years. And then I got elected onto the Victorian branch committee of the Pharmacy Guild back in 2008. So I was about 28 when I 
first got onto the Victorian Branch Committee. Oh, wow. So did you have any role models throughout this journey or mentors? I would say that I had a number of people that I would go to and seek their feedback or bounce ideas off both within the workplace of the pharmacy and learn from. And I mentioned Cos earlier. He was someone that I would often reach out to and yeah, seek some advice from and you know, chew the fat, so to speak. So I learned a lot from that. But I was somebody who felt that there was, you never know too many people. So I wouldn't say I had one or, or two mentors only. I, I really tried to learn as much as I could from as many people as I could. And that started from even my pharmacy student days in Muldura, working up there. And I had every intention of actually returning to Muldura to practice and potentially getting to ownership. But I, as the old story goes, I met a girl and she was from Melbourne and wasn't too keen on going to Muldura to move away from her family and other reasons. So I ended up staying in Melbourne and she's my wife and mother of my three children now. So gladly that worked out. But I've learned from a lot of different people over the journey and you literally don't ever stop learning, that's for sure. How did you find these mentors to start with and what are some of the lessons you learned from them that shaped your career? I think you have to be curious and be willing to ask questions and be willing to listen to the response. I know that sounds really obvious, but most pharmacists are really happy to impart the knowledge they have. They really do enjoy having a pharmacy student or prospective pharmacist want to learn from their experience. And that experience is not just about medicines and drug knowledge. It's about interacting with patients. It's about dealing with challenging situations, whether it's talking with doctors or co-workers or whatever it might be. So just be curious and ask and take an interest and not just pharmacists, even in the environment of a hospital pharmacy or a community pharmacy, there's some really experienced people such as dispensary technicians or assistants that you can learn a lot from who have been in that industry or game for a long time and have a lot of knowledge, albeit not maybe not a university qualification. So for pharmacists who want to go into ownership, what are some of the lessons that you can share or insights for them to start their journey? Get good advice and you have to pay for that advice. So be prepared to pay for advice, whether it's legal advice or financial or accountancy advice, be prepared to pay for it and get it. And if you are not prepared to follow that advice, we'll consider whether you should get it elsewhere. But there's no point continuing to pay someone for advice if you're not going to follow it. So they're experts in their field and can give a lot of benefit to you. And in terms of if you're talking about getting into into ownership and things like that, from my experience, I would say that as much as you can have open and frank conversations about what you think the future holds for yourself, getting into the pharmacy. And often people are so excited to get into pharmacy ownership and, and they're just focused on that first day and getting in and everything will take care of itself. But particularly if you're getting into a, a partnership with other people, it's important you have a partnership agreement. And with that partnership agreement, we'll outline all the roles and responsibilities of people and what will happen in, if certain things occur and make sure things are documented and make sure that if you want to take more of an interest in that pharmacy, that there's a succession plan and that that's documented because whilst you can have handshakes and verbal understandings, as time goes on and different things happen, ultimately you default to a written agreement. So that's probably what I would suggest in terms of getting into ownership. But first and foremost, the most important thing is you have to understand what 
you are passionate about and what drives you. No one forces you to do what you do. No one's forcing you to be a pharmacist. No one's forcing you to go into ownership. When you wake up in the morning, it needs to be what you want to do. And you need to figure out the why and you need to figure out what you're passionate about. And then a lot of the other stuff will take care of itself. What's your why? What's the drive that continue to help you to go through all these years and owning five pharmacies and you know become the Victorian President of Guild and National Councillor for the Guild? Yeah. So through life, I've found that there's generally three types of people and those who say what should happen, well, they'll tell you what they think the problem is or what should happen. Those who wonder what happened and those that make it happen. People who just get on with it and make it happen. And I, I've always felt I f- fell into that last group that wanted to make a difference and I wanted to just make it happen. And anything I've done, I've wanted to put myself into a position where I can influence and actually change something. Because in my life and in, in the way I look at things, if you don't like it, change it. And you know, we all know the definition of insanity. But you can't underestimate how many people you come across socially, professionally, personally, whatever, of people who really just will fall into those earlier group or two that they'll, they'll tell you all the problems and what should happen. But are they prepared to put the effort in and work for it or take risks to make any difference? And many aren't. And, and I don't, I'm not critical of them, but I mm. choose not to listen to them terribly much either. Mm. Can you share how you turn the idea into actual process or product and make it happen? Well, I guess in just generally speaking, it's about being prepared and understanding that you may not be successful. You know, it's not likely to succeed the first time, whether it's trying to put together a, ser- a health service in your pharmacy or a new initiative or what it might be. My advice would be, you know, try and, try and do as much planning as you can, but talk to people and get their feedback about what you're proposing or what you're thinking of doing, whether that's family, whether it's friends, whether it's colleagues, talk to people, get their feedback. That's called consultation. And people from both inside pharmacy and outside pharmacy can give you a lot of good feedback, whether it's your ownership aspirations, but it's also maybe something that you're just trying to do from the pharmacy for patient care. And I just want to say, first and foremost, there's some people who will never want to be an owner, and that's perfectly fine. That's no problem. You're better off deciding you don't want to do it, then try and do it reluctantly and doesn't work out. Some people are wonderful managing pharmacists and fantastic health service pharmacists in their own right. So my idea would be don't be afraid to propose things and come up with ideas and speak to your colleagues about it and get as much feedback as you can and be persistent because it's not likely to succeed the first time. Learn from it, work together and continually try to refine it. That's you know, general feedback, I'd say. And it sounds obvious, but it's amazing how many people you see give up quickly or be stubborn and insist on driving something forward without actually consulting or getting feedback from people who might actually be the ones receiving the service or who are going to be responsible for delivering it. So now I want to ask about your vision for the future of pharmacy. The simplest way I can put it would be that pharmacists are practicing to their full scope of competencies and what we're trained to do. That's the simplest way I can put it. So there is a scope of practice that the pharmacy board determines for pharmacists in different domains and areas. And my vision is that pharmacists entrusted and have the opportunity to practice that full potential. And that manifests itself or looks like the vaccinations that we're able to administer 
being able to have a greater role in chronic disease management in terms of managing the prescription therapy for patients on long-term chronic medications or managing opioid replacement therapy for patients with a greater involvement in terms of their dose titration, or it could be a number of areas, but basically practicing to our full potential and scope. That is the vision. And we know it's possible because it's happening in different parts of the world overseas Mm. to varying extents. And in Australia, when we've got a system that has community pharmacies as the most frequently visited and accessible primary healthcare destination in Australia, so great equity of access, and we've got a model of ownership that restricts ownership to only pharmacists and not corporate interests or supermarkets or or other things. We've got a really great opportunity where you've got pharmacists who own pharmacies who have equity of access. And if we are able to be given the right to do more to our full potential, then there's a great opportunity for patients and the healthcare system to benefit. Mm. And now we've seen like UK model pharmacists are able to prescribe and pharmacists are creating clinics and seeing patients in the community. Do you think that's something that we will soon be doing in Australia? I think so. I mean, the pharmacy board has already determined that they've got a position statement about pharmacists prescribing. And at this point in time, they've got there's a model of a collaborative form of prescribing where our pharmacists are working with a doctor prescriber as a form of prescribing. It's not autonomous prescribing where pharmacists are prescribing a schedule for medication or above themselves autonomously. That could happen one day and you could spend the whole podcast talking about that. But do I think it's going to happen? Well, it is already happening. Pharmacists recommend and prescribe medications at the moment, albeit those medications may not require a prescription under our scheduling framework. Prescribing really as a term means the recommendation of a medication for the treatment of a patient. Pharmacists do that every day. What we're talking about when we talk about prescribing is whether pharmacists will be able to do it for something that's scheduled for or above. The pharmacy board have a position statement on it around collaborative forms of prescribing, and I think that uh, we'll be seeing those in the not-too-distant future at all. And I think opioid replacement therapy, albeit with a Schedule 8 medication such as methadone or buprenorphine, could very well be a starting point due to barriers of access for patients and and the limits of prescribers that well, not the limits, sorry, the, the low numbers of prescribers in some areas that are participating. Mm. So what are some roadblocks you're seeing for pharmacists to practice their full scope moving forward? Oh, look, bluntly, politics. It's doctors' lobbying groups who want to put the fear of God into politicians and the public that if we dare let any other health professional undertake something that doctors or GPs typically do, that there will be Armageddon, the world will end, and there'll be blood in the streets. Mm. That's basically what we're dealing with. And that's, that's political. That's the vocal megaphone stuff you hear publicly or in the media. I mean, at the grassroots level, GPs and pharmacists get along typically really well because they just everyone's busy and they want to get on with it and they want to look after their patients. And the reality is, the sad reality is, is that there is so much sickness around. There's enough work to keep us all busy as health professionals. We've just got to figure out the smartest way to do that for patient benefit and the most efficient way for our health system. Mm. But that is a big barrier because that influences health bureaucrats in departments of health and ministers and parliamentarians that make laws and make decisions. From early career pharmacists or pharmacists' point of view who are not owners, what can we do First and foremost, be passionate and be great at what you do. 
again, I don't want to sound patronising or obvious, but that is so important. And I'll tell you why. One of my major roles with the Pharmacy Guild and being an advocate and a representative of our profession is when I go and speak to members of parliament and ministers, and I'm talking about pharmacies and pharmacists, it's so important our high level of trust and reputation and the regard that the public have for us. Mm. And that is key in terms of trying to get any sort of progress or better utilisation of our skills. If the public didn't trust or like pharmacies and pharmacists or didn't feel comfortable with them playing a greater role, well, really, the issue or the debate is dead in the water. So first and foremost, and your listeners would probably say, okay, great. I'm just great at what I do. I don't come to work to do it the second best way. I've taken care of that. What else have you got for me? Really, you know, and I can't emphasize that enough. You can't expect to get anything else in terms of whether it's scope of practice, remuneration or recognition, unless the public have confidence and faith in you and want to receive that service. Other things that you can do is actually invite and engage with decision makers to get them to come to your pharmacy or where you practice and show them, seeing's believing. And that can be as simple as your local member of parliament or even local government, local councillors from your, your city shire or the mayor or your local member of parliament, a state or federal level, get them to come. Maybe get a flu vaccination from your pharmacy or, or get them to see what you do. And we take for granted how little the public know about what we do. So typically speaking, the public like pharmacies and pharmacists and trust pharmacists, and they're open to pharmacists doing more in health services. But besides dispensing prescriptions and giving medicines and health advice, and now doing some vaccinations, the public don't really know what pharmacists can do or actually do provide necessarily from their pharmacies. So mm. seeing believing and promoting that in your local community and getting anyone of note or a decision maker to come and see it, it makes a big difference because when I go and see members of parliament or ministers and I'll talk about pharmacy, for instance, they'll link it back to their local neighborhood and say, oh yeah, I know I know Jane or I know Steve or, you know, from around the corner. Yeah, they're fantastic. And they'll relate it back mm. to their own community. Yeah. I think the vision will be is that, look, don't get me wrong, dispensing and supplying prescriptions is a core clinical service that pharmacies have. And it's important because medications are really useful, particularly when you take them. Sometimes I cringe when people refer to dispensing sometimes as if to say, it's some medial task or it's not a core clinical skill or professional service because it is. Don't get me wrong. If it's not done well or properly or, or counselling's not provided or you know, not a, adequate staffing, it can feel like a, an administrative task, but it's not how I see it. For pharmacists who are not interested in going into an ownership pathway, in many respects, it's what they can make of it for their local communities because different communities will have different needs. And they're, you know, whether it's health services around sleep apnea, around diabetes, or you know, we've got an aging population with an increasing disease burden. We have other parts of the health system under stress. Community pharmacies are accessible, trusted, and you know, frequently visited. It really is. It depends what I guess you, you make of it. And I can't think of too many pharmacy proprietors or owners who say. Yeah, what well, I'm I'm really good for staff. I I don't need any any good staff. I'm I'm fine. I'm not look I'm not interested in talking to anyone who's passionate, engaged, and and really driven to 
really expand and deliver services to their community. It's not just in pharmacy. Any business person or owner of a practice that I speak to, it's probably the, the thing that often keeps them up at night, having quality staff to come and work for them. So there's opportunities in so many different places. And sometimes the owner of that business would love to take it to another level, but they might not even know themselves. And they need they might need help, enthusiasm, drive, the ideas and innovation. So yeah, that's what I'd say, really. What do you think is the missing link? Because we hear on one end, pharmacists feel like they're not getting paid enough. And then on the other hand, owners really need good staff yep. to really drive the service, provide service to the community. Yeah, look, it is a conundrum and it is a challenge, that's for sure. And I do acknowledge that. And sometimes it can be from an employee pharmacist perspective, you know, to what extent are they willing to try different things, whether it's move to a different location, move outside a metropolitan location. You know, speaking to the pharmacy owner and actually getting a sense of what do I need to do or what does it take to increase my remuneration and my responsibilities and work together on that because you don't get if you don't ask mm. is the simple. And the worst thing that someone can say to you is no. Mm. And don't assume that people, whether it's managers, owners, employers, will necessarily come to you on a platter to say, well, this is what we think you're deserve it of and we would like to reward you with this. It does take negotiation and having to raise it. And that can be confronting for a lot of people, but I encourage you to do so and have those honest and open conversations and be prepared. You're going to be disappointed. You're never going to get everything you want. But as I said, you don't get if you don't ask. And the worst thing that someone can say to you is no and work together to look at what the possibilities are. And And through that conversation, if you learn that there really is no possibilities in that particular role, there is no scope for further growth or advancement, well, reconsider reconsider where you are. I mean, because it's very likely that somewhere else will be able to provide something that you might be motivated by. And that's just that's not just in pharmacy. That's just general. That's just general feedback. And I don't think, again, it's rocket science, but don't be afraid to have the conversation. For our students, for our early career pharmacists, what skill sets or qualities you're looking for? Empathy. So being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes so empathy is not to be considered with, not to be confused with sympathy. Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone. Empathy is being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand something from their point of view. It's really important with patients and it can be important with your coworkers as well. Just being able to see something from a different person's point of view. I look for empathy. I look for honesty. I look for drive that, you know, that people willing to, you know, do things that are good for the team and they go provide that extra assistance or go that extra mile, you know, reasonably, you know, not excessively, reasonably. And they're not afraid to come to me as the employer. Like I try to be, I still manage my own pharmacy. I try to be accessible and responsive and engage with my staff. And I respect and value staff who come to me if they've got an issue or concern. And I don't hear it via gossip and second or third hand. Uh, The types of people I'm looking for, empathy, honesty, they're willing to work hard for the team, and they've just got an an attitude of wanting to do what's best for the patient and take things forward. And those sorts of core things are really, really important. And, you know, there are people that I've employed over the journey who didn't have those values, who were more interested in pursuing their own agenda or weren't team players. And I did what I had to do to weed them out of my team because they are toxic and they it will become contagious on others. And 
you always have to worry about your good staff who might be the silent majority because the good ones leave because they can. The bad ones don't because they can't. So you have to deal with them. And likewise, if you're having issues in your workplace with someone you know, that you're working with, it's being made difficult, go and speak to your employer about it. I'm not saying in the sense of being a dobber, but being constructive and saying how it's impacting on you, your well-being, and able to deliver for the team and the patient. For pharmacists who want to become a partner, for example, if they want to be a partner with you, who are you looking for in partnership? If similar to what I just said earlier around the around honesty, hard work, and all those things. I'm looking for someone who's got, yeah, this is genuinely what they want to do. They're not second guessing. It's not a flavor of the month. They've shown over a period of time, this is absolutely what they want to do. And they've got a drive that they're clearly wanting to achieve this. Understanding that with ownership becomes a whole new set of responsibilities and obligations. And you know, sometimes as an owner, you can feel like there's the good days become less and less frequent at times. You can feel like that, honestly. But I tell you, when you, know, when you do have good days, whether it's really delivering a good service for a patient or whether it's fundraising for a local community group or charity or your intern pharmacists register as a pharmacist or the business is growing and being really profitable and you can hire more staff and give people pay rises or heaven forbid, treat yourself financially and be able to succeed, it feels great. Mm. And provide for your family and all those things. It feels great. And you should be proud. So looking for people who you don't have to be the same as some as a business partner, but how can someone that you get a sense that will complement your skills and make up for your own weaknesses. So it's about having insight as to what you know your strengths and weaknesses are as a person and what can someone else do to help uh, complement that and get the best out of each other. Mm. How can owner want to be know that who is the best person to approach? So you're speaking about an employee pharmacist who's interested in ownership or partnership and who do they, Yeah. where do they go to? Yeah. So it's about what I would suggest is, is trying to build up a network of people within the industry, both pharmacists, colleagues and others. And whether that's through attending conferences and events, and I know that's harder in COVID times, but you know, things will, things are on the improve there. But Networking is really important, including with pharmacy brokers, those who sell pharmacy businesses or accountants and whatnot, because they will often help facilitate introductions or, for want of a better term, matchmaking between owners and prospective future owners. And some having a coffee or meeting someone, and I hear of pharmacists who are interested in getting into ownership going and having a trial with a pharmacy and just seeing if it's compatible with what they're passionate or interested in and whatnot. So, it's about networking. It's about making it known that this is what you're interested in and being willing to try different things and meet different people. Mm-hmm. And as I said, there are industry figures out there and experts who have pharmacy owners as their clients. And the pharmacy owners are saying to their candidate or lawyer or broker or whatever and say, oh, if only there was a young pharmacist who was interested in ownership. So sometimes those intermediaries can really help. Another question is more understanding the individual pharmacies and banner group. What's your opinion on the difference? Yeah, look, a pharmacy or banner group, typically a franchise, and you can become a a member of that franchise being a franchisee. You you sign a franchise agreement, you pay a fee to receive a set of services, whether it's helping with promotions and marketing and buying of stock or merchandising or whatever it is. And my opinion as to 
pharmacy. My pharmacy, every pharmacy I've ever been involved with has been a franchisee of a pharmacy group. That doesn't mean that I think everyone should be in a franchise. It just it depends on a number of things. First and foremost, what do you find useful? What do you engage with? Sometimes pharmacy brands and franchises can be really good for networking and being part of something bigger. You've got to weigh up the cost of it. Are you getting value for money for what they deliver as part of their member services agreement or franchise agreement? Where are you located? Does it even matter? Like, do people even care? whether you are part of a brand. I mean, some locations being in some shopping centres, there's an expectation from the landlord that you do have a brand or a franchise. They value that as from a pharmacy, uh, from a, sorry, shopping centre branding marketing perspective. But if you're, let's say you're not in a shopping centre and you're not necessarily in an, in an area, whether it's, you might be outside of a metro area or even in a metro area, but in a strip and being a, a branded pharmacy may not necessarily be of great importance to your local community and clientele. When you become part of a pharmacy brand or franchise, you probably have to, it's what they call compliance with the, the brand. You have to probably follow a merchandising plan to a point or a image of what a pharmacy looks like in terms of branding and use of the style and colors and whatnot. Some people find that really useful to help guide them in terms of getting the pharmacy displayed, stocked and, and run. Some people detest it. They said, oh, you know, they want to have full control and determine it independently. So you've got to think about what motivates you. You've got to think about how you want to express yourself through your pharmacy business. So some people, they're one, the pharmacy franchises are really great for, for some owners and, and works well. For some, if they don't want to comply with it, if they don't want to follow that brand's direction, then don't do it. Don't pay for something that you don't want to do. And there's not necessarily one pharmacy brand that's the best. I mean, again, it depends on what do you engage with? What sort of pharmacy do you want to provide to your community? And, you know, what sort of support can you get? And sometimes the people within those pharmacy brands can make a difference because you want to feel part of something. And sometimes you can have links with the management of those pharmacy brands and whatnot. So there's no straight, simple answer, but it comes back to what you want to do, how you want to express yourself and what you want to bring. What are your thoughts or your opinion on female leaders in pharmacy ownership and you know, female owners? I think that female owners, we need more of them. That's the first straight comment I'd make. About 33% of all owners are women, but over 60% of all pharmacists are women. What I would say, I think that there should be more than 33% of all owners should be women, assuming that's what women want to do, and I assume it, that it is. I think that I've had female business partners from the start. And I've worked with many female pharmacists in management roles, in the guild, in executive and management roles. And I think that diversity in any form, whether it's gender, cultural background, whatever it may be, you get the best out of each other and and usually the best outcomes when you have different perspectives and thoughts brought to the table. I think that's well, I can see that things are on the improve with regards to women being in ownership, women being in representative roles in pharmacy and leadership, and whether that's to do with, I don't know, look, whether it's to do with flexible working arrangements, whether it's a more conscious mentoring process, speaking about it more, whatever it is. But we need to do more, and we need to do more. We are doing more, and it's worth it. The end result, well, not that there's necessarily an end result as such, but the an improved number of women in leadership roles of pharmacy is better for all of us because we'll get the best out of each other and for our patients in the profession. I mean, I know I've been sitting in meetings with members of parliament and ministers and 
what I thought was a pretty good summation of the issue or whatnot, and I'll have a female colleague with me and she'll give her perspective. Some of them have been mothers or parents themselves, some of them not, and they've given it just a different perspective and it's been great and it was beneficial to get that point of view across, particularly, of course, when you're speaking with a female minister or member of parliament as well. Mm. What's that missing link for that lesser, a smaller percentage of pharmacy owner right now? What do you think the reason behind it? Okay, I mean, we could spend any amount of time speculating what it will be. So I'm, I'm going to try and give a, a, a short and condensed answer, and I don't want this to come across condescending or offensive in any way. From my experience, when I speak with women who are considering like running for an elected position in a pharmacy organisation or whatnot, I find that women, and I'm being very general here, okay? I'm being very general. I find that women question and doubt themselves more than men do. Women are hesitant to go for something at times because they feel that, well, what happens if I'm not good enough and I'm not sure if I'm quite right for that role? I mean, there's 10 criteria there and I only really feel eight of them and oh, I'm not sure if I'm really up for campaigning or electioneering in that for votes with my peers to get elected to that position. I'm not sure. Then you got uh, male uh, counterparts who say, yeah, why not? I'll give it a go. What's involved? Oh, that couldn't be too hard. Again, very general, but there's a, a level of bravado and confidence that I typically see in men that I might not see in women. And I think unfairly at times when women do express that, those sorts of traits, they can be unfairly judged. My message to female listeners is to say, hey, don't feel as though you have to be perfect and that you have to tick all the boxes to apply or strive for something because I'll give you the quiet tip. I don't think anyone has those capabilities first up. If you want to go for it, and the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't happen. But you know, as Wayne Gretzky, the legendary and champion hockey player, once said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So does that make sense where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, so you know, the number of times you know, privately, I've tried to have to encourage female candidates, whether it's within the guild or, or in other walks of life, to you know, back themselves and be prepared to put their hand up. In some ways, at first, I was saddened by it. But then I thought, well, if that's what is necessary for that person to have the confidence to do it, then so be it. I mean, men and women can be, have different, again, very general, you know, mm. men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Is that how it goes? Yeah, just very general. But I'm really excited by the more female leaders that I'm seeing in pharmacy and look forward to seeing more. And it will because just the momentum that you have with International Women's Day events and women's networking events, it's fantastic. And I think it's just inevitable. Mm. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's a great encouragement for us and help us to grow that confidence. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. What would you do now you have this achievement in pharmacy, you're doing really well. What's that one thing you want to do differently if you restart your pharmacy career? Look, I think the one thing I'd probably do differently is earlier on in my career, probably my one of my great assets was also a weakness, which was I was vocal, I was confident, I would speak up. And sure, that opened some doors, but it probably upset some people and it probably, you know, at times soured some relationships I had with good people at the time, which I've since mended and since you know, made amends for. But, you know, look, anyone that says to you, I don't have any regrets, I would have done it all the same. Oh, I'm sorry, I think they're lying. I think everyone would do something differently. If I could start again, I'd probably go about things a bit differently when I was, whether it's exiting pharmacy, a particular pharmacy partnership or ownership, 
or exiting a particular position I was at a time to move on to something else. But I've learned a lot and I'm grateful that through recognising how I could have done things better, that I've been able to preserve some great and important relationships with good people over the journey. But overall, what I would always keep doing is is to try and get the best out of myself and the people around me. And if I didn't like it, change it. But change it, try and change it in a way that's collaborative and working together with people rather than necessarily without warning or, or taking people by surprise. Well, thank you. So last question, if you had one piece of advice for students and pharmacists, both professional and personally, what would it be to help them support them and create a successful pharmacy career? Make sure that you pursue something that you enjoy because the reality is that you spend more time, more of your waking life with people that you may not choose to socialize with otherwise. That's a harsh reality. I hate to break it to people, but I mean, if they haven't figured it out already. And you might as well do something that you enjoy, okay? You might as well do something that you get some satisfaction from. So my one piece of advice is, and it sounds like a cliche, but it just it is what it is. Do something that drives you and that you enjoy because the days are long, but the years fly by. Mm. That's life may as well be doing something that you can look back on and, and say, geez, I'm happy I, I did that and that I'm proud of that. And the other piece of advice is make sure you have a good level of work-life balance for your own well-being, particularly mentally, but also physically, because hopefully later years, when you look back on your career or your life, people don't have regrets of, geez, I, I, had have, I wish I had have done that double shift and stayed back longer. Geez, I wish I had have gone in on my day off. People never say that. Mm. So do your best to balance it because you will be a better person, better pharmacist, better husband, wife, partner, person for it. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for your advice. It's been an amazing hour of sharing your wisdom and experience with us. So thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me and all the best. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone else who you think would benefit from it, we would be grateful if you could share it with them. Together, we help even more pharmacists develop a career and life they love. If you have any questions or suggestions about future podcast episodes, please reach out to us via email, info at ravensrecruitment.com.au.